namo tassa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami For this evening's talk, in order to continue the focus on the, the practice of meditation, in order to, to keep providing skillful means, in order to uh, gain the goals of meditation, which is both samatha and vipassana, both jhana and insight, I wanted to talk this evening on the, the five hindrances the pancha niwarana. And of course many of you know that those five hindrances are the cause for not seeing the Dhamma. They obstruct our wisdom. They obstruct peace. So it is very clear from the uh, teachings of the Lord Buddha and from all of the great areas, the noble ones, <coughs> that these five hindrances have to be overcome in order for you to uh, see the Dhamma and gain the liberating insights of this path. However, those five hindrances are not easily seen. If they were easily recognized, if they were well known, there will be many more stream-enterers, once-returners, non-returners and arahats in this world. It's precisely because people think they know these hindrances, but in truth they don't, that Mara has its, what has its way, that Awija, that illusion, continues to occupy the minds of human beings. It's because of not truly recognizing these hindrances and therefore not doing anything to remove them that one still remains in samsara. It is because of the <coughs> uh, problem of these hindrances, the problem of obstructing wisdom, of obstructing peace, that one focus of the practice should be the removal of these hindrances. But as I mentioned, that first you should know them. If you don't know them, how can you remove them? And it's precisely the practice of meditation which I've been teaching here for a few years now. It's a practice of meditation which will uh, demonstrate not just the coarse aspects of these hindrances, but they're very refined nature as well. Simply as a rule of thumb that you can know that if you cannot get into a jhana, it must be because one or more of these five hindrances are still active in your mind. For as the, the suttas very clearly say, 
that if those five hindrances were all absent, temporarily they were not obstructing the mind, then the path into jhana will be completely open and free. There will be nothing stopping you. The mind will just incline into those jhanas and will remain there for a long time. These things are obstructions to samadhi. They're weakeners of wisdom. So, <coughs> the only way that you can really know these hindrances are absent is if your mind can enter jhana. If that experience is still, built, still beyond you, it means that there are some aspects of those hindrances still present and maybe aspects of those hindrances which you haven't really identified yet. So let's look at those hindrances in terms of the practice which leads to the deep absorptions in meditation. You probably all know the names of these hindrances Karma Chanda, Vayapada, Tinamida, Udacha, Kukacha and Wichikicha. You probably all know them in Pali under translations. But that doesn't mean you truly know what they are. Indeed, that first hindrance of Karma Chanda, sometimes it is translated as sensory pleasure. <coughs> but you should know first of all the first half of that word, karma, denotes not just any of the senses, but specifically those five external senses of sight, sound, smell, taste, and physical touch. And chanda is a word which means valuing these things, consenting to them, the leaning of the mind towards these things, the very intention of the mind which takes these things as its goal. This is the meaning of chanda. And put together that karma chanda in its fullest sense means a mind who leans towards the world of the five senses, who delights in it, who wishes to experience it, a mind which will not let that world disappear and go. To me that this hindrance of the karma chanda is by far the greatest and most powerful of the hindrances to be overcome and therefore the most difficult. It does not just mean you don't care about your body. It doesn't just mean that you don't care about sexuality or food. That karma chanda is what makes you scratch your nose if it's itchy. It's what makes you change your posture if you're uncomfortable. <coughs> it's what makes you cough if there's an irritation in the throat. It's the mind which is concerned with the very comfort of this body as well as the comfort or pleasure of all the other five senses. Remember, comfort equals pleasure in the realm of that fifth sense of touch. That karma chanda will always ma also manifest is when you are 
so-called disturbed by this physical body or disturbed by sounds or disturbed by any other activity of the five sense world. As I've mentioned in the interviews that I've mentioned here on this Dhamma seat that Ajahn Chah's teaching was that sounds don't disturb you, you disturb those sounds. The feelings in the body don't, don't disturb you, you disturb those feelings in the body. The heat and the cold don't disturb you, you disturb them. What I mean here is that the mind has such an attachment to this body it's such a long vested interest in the world of these five senses that it's very difficult for that mind to let all of this go. Remember there's a lot of difference to thinking that you've let go of this body and actually being able to do so. Sometimes you'll be tested at the time when you die to see whether you truly have no attachment to this body, whether you can truly let it go. You're also tested at every time you meditate. When you sit down there on your seat, you set up your body as best you can, then see if you can leave it alone. You will never be able to get this body perfectly comfortable. <coughs> it will be just so. And then all you need to do is to leave it alone. And not worry, not be concerned, not even value any feelings in the body, any sounds from outside, any smells or tastes. To leave all of these things behind because you are not interested in them. In this way of meditation, the way of overcoming that karma chanda is twofold. First of all, <coughs> through a super practice. A super, as you know, is the uh, development of the perception of the foul, the perception of the ugly, the <coughs> perception of that which is not delightful, that which creates aversion and repulsion. And a very useful method of practicing a super meditation is not so much to look upon your body and its 32 parts, or look upon this body and it's where it's the four elements, but instead of looking at this physical body, to look at the five senses the activity of this body and to look at each of these five senses with the perception which has been uh, taught by a super to be able to see that all seeing the beautiful and the ugly and the in-between that all seeing is irrit an irritation a pain, a sore all hearing is an irritation. Even hearing beautiful sounds or even hearing beautiful Dhamma. All smells, all tastes, even the most beautiful food is an irritation, is a pain. 
at all physical sense whether it's a sense of comfort or sheer pleasure in the body the pleasure of warmth on a cold day or whatever is comfort and pleasurable the pleasure of lying in your bed under the blankets in the early morning all of these should be seen for what they truly are as an irritation only then through that practice of a super of our repulsiveness towards his five senses is it possible for the mind to turn away from them if the mind cannot turn away from these five senses in your meditation you will always be interrupted and disturbed by them the sound outside will appear to you as a disturbance the body will never get comfortable there will always be something there the point is there is always something out there in the world of the five senses if you don't know how to completely drop that world if you don't know how to uh, lead the mind away from that world you will never be free from it remember the description of the first jhana begins with vivichewa kamehi aloof separated from that whole realm of the five sense activity is the very first words describing the experience of a jhana to be separated from kamehi means that the first hindrance of karma chanda has been completely overcome however you should also know that even if that you are not being receptive to the feelings in the body or the sounds outside of you there is still the echo of that world of the five senses the more refined form of karma chanda and that in the suttas is called karma vitaka these are the thoughts which are based on that five sense world and those can be any thoughts whatsoever they don't necessarily need to be sexual or sensual in the sense of gratifying they can also be <coughs> thoughts which are concerned with the unpleasant side of that five sense world in fact any thought whatsoever which has its root in that five sense world is called karma vitaka and it's a hindrance any time that the body with its five senses manifests in the mind during the meditation it's either the course or form of karma chanda or it is karma vitaka either way it is a hindrance not just to deep meditation but it's a hindrance to wisdom that's why that even watching the rise and fall of these external five senses belies a concern for them an unwillingness to let them go an attachment which cannot be seen until 
the mind is free enough to attain a jhana. Beware of <coughs> karma chanda and karma vitaka. If the mind cannot turn aside and turn away from that five sense world, it will never know either jhana or insight. You will never be able to realize the disturbance and the irritation of this five sense world. But karma loka is a mass of dukkha and there is something beyond that which is far more delightful. A pleasure born of being free from that realm of the five senses. It is because of karma chanda that people in the world, even Buddhists, were not inclined to monastic life. Not realizing their attachment and their clinging to this world of the five senses. In fact, delighting and approving in that world simply because they know nothing else. It takes some confidence and faith, first of all, to be able to leave aside that that world. Confidence and faith which is helped with this asuba practice which I've mentioned before. The asuba practice of looking at this five sense world and getting so tired of it to seeing that it's so futile trying to get any lasting pleasure, any true satisfaction anywhere in that five sense world whether you write a book or write a thesis, whether you build a monastery or decorate a body, whatever is in that five sense world will always cause you trouble and give you disappointment. It's the nature of that five sense world. Please develop the super to those five senses. Have confidence in the Lord Buddha's teachings and that will, should be enough to give you the, the second and more powerful way of developing aloofness from karma chanda. And that second and most powerful way of overcoming that first hindrance is to realize through direct experience that which is beyond karma chanda, that which is beyond the world of the five hindrances. To be able to know that where the five hindrances, or rather the first hindrances, does not reach. The end of the world where Mara can't go. The experience of a jitta, of a mind which is released from those five hindrances. Especially a jitta which is released from the first one, Karma Chanda. To know that bliss, to understand that bliss, to realize the origin of that bliss, is precisely the separation of the mind from the world of those five senses is to give you the most powerful tool to overcoming karma chanda. You overcome karma chanda because once the mind knows that delight does not lie in that five sense world, that it lies apart from it, only then will the mind be able to incline away from it. Only then will the mind be free from the shackle of karma chanda, because it knows something more. It's 
this old simile of a fish born in the water can never know what water is until one day it can get out of that water and know something different. <coughs> Only when you can truly get out of this five sense world and know something different can you have the full knowledge that the world of the five senses is a burden, is an irritation and then the mind will be able to let go of that five sense world. A person who's achieved a jhana even once will find it more easy to incline away from the world knowing there's something more and something sweeter than this which we call the world, the world of the five senses. That's why in this monastery I encourage again and again the practice of jhana so that you will have a means to weaken and finally overcome karma chanda by knowing something else than the world of the five senses. If you cannot achieve that jhana, if you cannot achieve separation from the world of the five senses, if you never yet experience a mind which neither sees, neither hears, neither smells nor tastes, nor touches the body at all, where the body disappears and when there are no thoughts concerned about this and when the mind manifests alone by itself pure like the full moon coming out from behind the clouds the clouds stand for the five senses the moon stands for the jitter it's true that when there's a few clouds there but they're thin you can sort of see the moon but it's hazy, <coughs> it's unclear and certainly you cannot see the fine details on the surface of the moon. That's like the time when the mind is very concentrated and peaceful but jhana is yet to happen. Sure enough you might think that karma chanda has been dealt with. You may think that the body has disappeared. You might think that the mind is not concerned with the five senses. But there will come a time when those clouds completely disappear. When the moon comes out from behind those clouds into an open, clear sky. When the nimitta of the mind arises. When the jitta becomes manifest. The pabasara nimitta, like the radiant moon on a full moon night. Now this is a time, that's a time when you know Karma Chanda has gone. Not before. At that point, you have just the mind manifest before you. And the pathway into jhana will be open to you. What will be left, other hindrances might still be there. But I'll talk about those next. Because the second hindrance is why a pada is ill will. That ill will, <coughs> like Karma Chanda, has gross forms and very, very refined forms, and you should know them all. So often, or rather, in my own experience, my own early experience and practice of meditation, I always thought why a pada, ill will, just meant ill will towards other people. 
Indeed, that is a hindrance to any sense of peace or freedom, for that ill will goes much, much deeper. That ill will, which some monks I have known, has gone to ill will towards the practice of meditation, because in their early years they didn't receive very good instructions. What has happened to them is they've meditated because they have to, not because they wanted to. It was just something a monk had to do and not getting any pleasure or satisfaction in their meditation early on, they developed a very deep-seated aversion to this pearl practice of meditation. One monk I remember had such an aversion to the breath that whenever he tried to concentrate on it, his mind would just tense up and basically rebel. Why? because the mind had never found any pleasure there in the past, had been afraid of any pleasure there in the past, had not developed any pleasure with the meditation. And from that experience had come aversion. For those of you beginning meditation, please start out by developing, as I was mentioning last week, the experience of satisfaction, pleasure in each stage of this meditation. Develop it from the very beginning of your practice. Otherwise, you'll find that the hindrance of aversion will creep up on you and block your further progress. If I teach present moment awareness and you have such a hard time with it and you never get any satisfaction from it, every time I say this, aversion will come up in your mind. If every time I teach jhana, because you haven't achieved this yet, you think, here he goes again, teaching jhana. If aversion comes up in your mind, that will be the obstacle for achieving it. For achieving it. Be careful of this aversion, how insidious it is, how easy it is to arise, how difficult it is to overcome. The aversion to the meditation practice is overcome through delighting in it, through seeking delight in it, through developing the perception of happiness in the meditation. So, when you start meditating at every stage, just pause and reflect on how it feels inside. Reflect until you can see that this meditation is leading to ever deeper stages of happiness. Just present moment awareness, just being free from the past and the future is happiness. Being silent is deep happiness. Pause before going on to a next stage so you can really enjoy that happiness. That will be the practice which overcomes the hindrance of ill will towards the meditation practice. What will happen, it won't be like just going to a dentist. It will be like going to your favourite place. You just can't wait to get there. Or rather the mind can't wait. A person who practices this delight in the different stages of meditation will be someone who never needs to force themselves to sit down and practice. They just can't wait to practice. It becomes the most enjoyable, important thing in the day. 
just to sit down on your cushion, to walk meditation, to develop the mind. It's someone who they say in the suttas delights in meditation, delights in solitude, delights in bhavana, in developing the mind. You do this through perceiving the happiness which arises through bhavana at each of the stages. These are subtle hap happinesses and if you don't deliberately seek them out it's very easy not to notice them. Also do not be afraid of these happinesses. Sometimes I was taught in my early years that such happinesses would only lead to attachment. That is wrong teaching. That just causes a grave obstacle in the path. If you are not enjoying the meditation, if you're not getting fun out of it, aversion will come up whether you like it or not. Ill will will come up as a natural consequence. Ill will arises in the mind because there's things or people you do not like. It's a natural consequence. So to overcome that ill will to the meditation and clear away an obstacle, develop delight in each of the different stages of the meditation. Just find delight in the fact that you're just sitting here with nothing else to do. Delight in the fact you don't need to think about past or future or anything else. You have no business in the world. That no one is judging you, no one is comparing you. You have nothing to prove. <coughs> Develop that joy in each moment of the meditation. When the breath manifests, develop joy that you've just got the breath in, you have nothing else you need to do. Be careful because if you move too quickly and aspire to go too deep too soon, in each of these stages there will be an aversion there. Even when you're at the breath, you reverse because you're not the beautiful breath yet. When you're at the beautiful breath, there's still ill will because they're not into jhanas yet. Be careful of that because you'll find the whole meditation will be just conducive of more ill will. If you have such a great big goal in front of you and you don't achieve it, it's conducive to the arising of ill will. Also, when I was saying that sometimes you can get uh, afraid of pleasure, it also sometimes un the fear of pleasure that comes from an underlying ill will towards yourself. And I've pointed this out before that in Western psychology of the mind the guilt causes ill will towards oneself. The guilt desert needs punishment and the punishment is uh, depriving yourself of happiness and well-being. Sometimes, if you find it difficult to see the pleasure in the mind and to notice these things, ask yourself, are you denying yourself the experience of this pleasure because of some feeling of guilt, ill will towards yourself? Sometimes it's said in the suttas, especially in the Vinaya, that if a monk has an offence which is unconfessed, especially a serious offence, 
that it's an obstacle to the development of the jhanas. It's interesting to ponder exactly what that means. What is the process by which an offence against a vinya can hinder the developments of these blissful states of mind? If you ponder it deeply, you'll find that if there's an offence against a vinya or some uh, inadequacy in one's precepts or sila, you'll find that hiri otapa, the sense of shame and, and moral dread or guilt, will cause you to automatically deny yourself that happiness. I'm not pure enough to deserve this. This is a natural reaction which is very often beyond your awareness, which happens automatically. The heriotopa, the conditioning, which if you made a mistake, you ask for and expect some punishment. Condition from childhood, from before childhood, from past lives. It is why the Lord Buddha said that if there has been an offence and inadequacy of one's moral precepts, just acknowledging it, confessing it, forgiving it, means you're liberated from it. The point is that you have enough faith in the Lord Buddha's teaching to know that's how the great teacher taught. And that's all you need to do. Acknowledging it, forgiving it, the forgiveness means letting go. Forgiveness means that no matter what fault you've done, having acknowledged it, you've followed the tradition, you've done what's expected of you, now you can let go and be liberated from it. Letting go of it means you can now open the door to happiness to yourself. You can allow yourself the pleasures of meditation. If you're having deep trouble with meditation, look at your sila. If there's anything which is impure, confess, acknowledge it, forgive it, let it go. Then there will be no ill will towards yourself. That's why that you should develop that forgiveness, otherwise known as metta, towards yourself. Otherwise you find that there will be obstacles in each of these stages of meditation. That metta, that <coughs> goodwill towards yourself, accepts the pleasure. So you have no ill will towards yourself. You can even practice metta towards a meditation object, even though it hasn't given you much pleasure yet. Don't be cruel to it on that account. Forgive it and maybe this time the breath or whatever other meditation object you're, you're following will actually give you that joy and delight. That <coughs> ill will carries right through towards the very gates of jhana. So often it can happen that you go so far and you think this is all the pleasure I deserve and you won't go further. This is too much for me. That's why metta, goodwill, forgiveness to yourself is just so essential to this path of jhana practice.
if you can get that far to the door of jhana and you know that you're allowing yourself this pleasure, you're not afraid of this pleasure, it shows that the, the hindrance of ill will has been overcome. If there's any fear of that pleasure, any sense of not deserving it, of it being too much for you, that is a sign of the hindrance of ill will. As I said in the beginning of this talk on the hindrances, these hindrances can be extremely refined and hard to see. You see them usually only when you come up to an obstacle in this path towards meditation, in this path towards jhana rather. Only if you're aiming to that high degree of meditation of jhana can you really see these hindrances come up. These are the things which block that path. If you don't even walk on that path, you won't even know these hindrances. Be careful of that hindrance of udacha kukacha, oh, sorry, of that hindrance of vayapada, of ill will. The next hindrance in the sequence which the Lord Buddha taught is tina mida. The tina mida is the sluggishness of the mind, the dullness of the mind. Again, some of the things which I've already mentioned overlap as ways to overcome that hindrance. I've noticed that happiness always goes along with energy and that unhappiness always goes along with lethargy. You sleep in in the morning because you have no delight in getting up. That you feel tired or dull in your meditation because there's no joy arising. You'll find as your meditation progresses that if in the evening time you're getting so much happiness and joy in the meditation you just can't even go to sleep. It's the sleepishness not there for you because that tina mida is completely obliterated by the joy and happiness in the mind. The joy and happiness supplies the energy. If you can develop this delight in each of the different stages in the meditation, you'll find that's a very powerful antidote to tina mida. If there's no real contentment there, no delight and happiness in what you're doing, the mind will go and seek its happiness somewhere else. You'll either seek that happiness in roaming around in the world of the five senses, in going through the memory bank of experiences or fantasies to do with the, wor the world of the five senses. It does that because it's not content or it just goes into dullness, switches off because of the aversion to what's happening, the lack of happiness. It wants to just disappear into the murky world of Tina Mida. You can overcome that Tina Mida by delighting in what you're doing. I've also mentioned to many of you that Tina Mida is where you are calming down, letting go of the disturbances of the mind, in particular the doer, that which is always disturbing everything. 
and very often you can notice Tina Mida happen when you're not just letting go of the doer but you're letting go of the knower as well. For most people the doer and the knower walk hand in hand so often that it's hard to let go of one and not let go of the other. But with mindfulness, with care, knowing what Tina Mida is, knowing the doer, knowing the knower, that you can in this path of meditation allow the doer to go to sleep but keep the knower bright and clear. This is a beautiful hints on Tina Mida. Tina Mida usually goes early on in this meditation. By the time you get to <coughs> the deep stages of meditation, the nimittas, then Tina Mida just cannot come up at all. The reason is because the mind is just so bright, so joyful, that Tina Mida just can't even get a foothold in the mind. Very often Tina Mida finds its way into the mind at the beginning of one's meditation. So that's the place to put forth the care with Tina Mida. Udacha and Kukucha, the restlessness and worry in the mind. I've already mentioned the fact that <coughs> if one's sila is pure, there will be no... <coughs> sorry. One will allow happiness to arise in the mind. One will think one deserves that happiness. But Udacha is that restlessness of the mind, which again, that restlessness goes to the very gates of jhana. Because that restlessness comes from again a lack of contentment. When the mind does not delight in the object which it is holding in front of it, if it doesn't delight in that, it will always move somewhere else. That delight in the present moment, that delight in silence, that delight in the breath, delight in the beautiful breath, delight in the nimitta. If you truly delight in that nimitta, it will stay with you. It won't go anywhere. You don't need to go out of your house if everything is there exactly as you want. If you develop absolute contentment in the moment, then Udacha will disappear. Sometimes that lack of contentment is just the mind wanting to rush off to another stage. Remember as I taught these stages of meditation in the last talk, these stages, <coughs> are, or the next stage, is not to be found outside of the stage you're in now. The next stage of the meditation is inside the very stage you're at. If you can develop deepen, a deepening of the stage you're already at in the meditation, a deepening of contentment with that stage, you'll find that the other stage, the next stage, will emerge from within. You don't need to go seeking it outside. For example, in that silent awareness, you're just focusing on the silence. Within that silence, the breath will arise and appear. Within that breath, you will find the beautiful breath. Within that beautiful breath, you will find a nimitta. And right in the center of that nimitta, from within it, 
will arise, arise a jhana. So a mind which goes seeking for the next stage somewhere else, not where it is right in the moment, is a mind which is under the power of the hindrance of udacca, restlessness. Each of these stages of meditation are just deepening stages of contentment. Deepen contentment until you, this contentment goes to its very depths. The depths of contentment are called the jhanas. I mention contentment because it's an English word which goes in completely the opposite direction to udicca, restlessness. Not being content with where you are, so you go somewhere else. Be careful, especially in the final stages of this meditation, when nimittas start to arise. The lack of stability of the nimitta is caused by discontent. And discontent arouses the doer to go and do something about this, because it's not happy. If you're really content with what you're doing, you don't call anybody to change anything. You don't ring up the plumber to go and fix the dripping tap. You don't call the electrician to change the light bulb. Everything is just so perfect in contentment. The doer has nothing to do. That's why the doer disappears. In the nimitta stage, develop such contentment with the nimitta, however it appears, and it will stabilize, it will become very still and brilliant, and have so much contentment that it completely envelops you in its stillness, and you enter the stable, beautiful stages of jhana. The udicca, the restlessness, will be manifest as an unstable nimitta. A, a nimitta which is flashing, a nimitta which doesn't stand still. Such a nimitta is showing you restlessness is still there. Udicca is still playing its games. This is how refined these hindrances are. Remember that these hindrances have to be abandoned to get any Uttri Manusadhamma, including the insights which obliterate the, defile, the, the fetters, the Sanyojanas. So you know exactly what your practice should be. Never think, never imagine that you can get real insight when even that refined form of Uddhicca is still active. You need to get a mind which can just be with a nimitta, which can enter jhanas. Only then do you know what these five hindrances truly mean. The last hindrance is the wichikichā, the doubt. And that doubt, again, happens on so many different levels. The first level of that doubt, and perhaps the most powerful, is the doubt in one's own ability. This is a point which I've spent a long time talking about, to impress upon everybody, especially everybody here this evening, 
that you have everything it takes to get into jhanas you have everything needed to gain the fruits of enlightenment when I was a young monk Ajahn Chah put it this way I remember him saying many times I'm not sure if those monks who came later heard him say this because this was in my first couple of years at Wat Bapong. He used to say that he's, he's planted an orchard and all the monks need to do is just to sit there and wait for the apples to drop. I often wondered what he meant by that. What he was saying is the real work has been done by the Aryas, the noble ones. Now everything is there for you. You're in the orchard. You have everything needed to gain jhanas, to gain the enlightenment experiences. You're in the orchard, not outside. So you can do it. Have confidence and faith in that teaching, in the ability which you have to be able to gain all these things because that feeling of inadequacy again very close to ill will towards oneself that feeling of inadequacy <coughs> is such a powerful hindrance to success in meditation it's something which motivational psychologists have made fortunes out of but here we're not into making fortunes we're into gaining jhanas and liberation from samsara but at least that they noticed that it's such a fundamental part of success the confidence in one's ability that you should pay close attention to it and develop it in your practice if you really think I can't do this then you won't be able to do it that's why when someone comes up to me and they've been meditating for 20-30 years and they say I can't attain a jhana I always add the word yet on the end of their sentence because tomorrow you may be able to get one I've noticed in my experience as a teacher and also personal experience that sometimes jhana even enlightenment experiences can be so close that sometimes you don't realize just how close you are it's just the width of a piece of paper away just so close but sometimes you can wander around on this side of the piece of paper for many years until some person says something or something clicks in the mind instead of walking backwards and forwards parallel to the piece of paper you walk through it you're that close to these states seeing that should or rather believing in that should give you great confidence doesn't matter what you have done all these years sometimes it just takes a little thing and then you gain these jhanas you gain these enlightenment experiences those of you who know the Pali Suttas who know the, the teachings in the Theragata and Terigata know that this happens happened in the time of the Buddha monks and nuns have been practicing for years and getting nowhere for one cause or another 
a great teacher coming along or something and then they they got through into jhanas, into enlightenment experiences so have that same sort of confidence in yourself that you can do it have confidence in the path that this is a path which leads to enlightenment as I was saying as uh, was brought up at the Anagarikas meeting with the uh, novices and the nun that the teaching to Upali which the Lord Buddha gave Yechakotwang Upali Dhamme Janayasi Imme Dhamma Ekanta Nibhidaya Viragaya Nirodaya Upasamaya Abhinyaya Sambodaya Nibbanaya Sangvatanti Ekangsena Upali Dariyasi Ezo Dhammo Ezo Vinyo Etang Buddha Sasananti Whatever Dhammas you know Upali lead in one direction lead to one thing Ekanta certainly to Nibida, repulsion, Viraga, fading away, Niroda, cessation, Upasama, this letting go calmness, this peace, Upasama Sukha is a synonym for jhanas, Upasama, these to jhanas, Abhinya, the deep understanding, insight, Sambodaya, enlightenment, Nibbanaya, extinction. Whatever dharmas you know lead in this direction, you can take as certain ekangsena upali dariyasi. You can hold it as certain that this is the vinaya of the Buddha. This is the dhamma of the Buddha. This is the instructions, the sasana of the Buddha when you know that this path leads in such a direction then you can have confidence and faith that this is the right way so use that teaching which was also given to Mahapajapati the first bhikkhuni and given apparently to many other practitioners as well as a way of developing the confidence in the path and overcoming that doubt of vichikichara Further on, that doubt can manifest, especially when a nimitta arises. The doubt, is this the true nimitta or is it not the true nimitta? Just leave all that doubt aside by giving up the assessor. That which is assessing is a source of doubt. The thinking mind can never truly know, but can only arouse more doubt leave the assessor till at the end of the meditation I encourage you at the end of every meditation to spend a minute or two or maybe even longer experiencing where you've got to reflecting on what you've done to get there so that you know the results of meditation and you know what produces those results good and bad 
So you learn about meditation. So you get insight into meditation. That's the time for all assessing in the last minute or two of your meditation. Don't go assessing in the middle. Certainly don't go assessing as you're getting close to jhanas. Don't go assessing is this a nimitta or is it not a nimitta. A nimitta will just disappear and run away. All that needs to be quiet. Have confidence in the path. Have confidence in what you're experiencing. And especially if the beautiful bright nimitta arises. Have confidence that the Buddha said that this bliss right in front of you, Nabhayitabhang, is not to be feared. Because fear comes up at that last door into jhana. That fear can come up because of ill will. That fear can also come up as a result of doubt. Not realizing that this bliss, which is right before you, is conducive to Nibbāna. Even the Lord Buddha had that fear because he doubted when he was a bodhisattva, an unenlightened bodhisattva. Because he doubted that surely such a bliss cannot be that which leads to Nibbāna. But then in the Mahasatchika Sutta, he realized through insight that perhaps this bliss does lead to Bodhi to enlightenment and of course that was a crucial turning point which made the Lord Buddha sit under the Bodhi tree practice jhanas and become the Lord Buddha for the benefit of us all please don't have that doubt that, that bliss which is right before you at this stage in fact it's a very skillful means which I practice to overcome the doer which arises immediately after doubt to and creates doubt and plays with doubt to overcome that doer at these stages of the meditation I deliberately give confidence to the nimitta as if someone is driving me into town and I just give full confidence to them you know where to go, take me there. Say to the nimitta, you know where to go, take me there. I give confidence to that nimitta, I trust it, I give it my full faith. When that nimitta starts to become very powerful, I give full confidence to that power. I give in to the jhana. Giving confidence in these stages is precisely the opposite of doubt. That's why this, this hindrance of doubt also appears right at the very gates of jhana. It goes all the way through. You need to let go of the doer. The doer feeds on doubt, exists on doubt. To overcome that doer and have that stillness and peace, of a deep jhana. You have to give faith to the nimitta, faith to the process. Only then can you let go. So these are the five hindrances in their coarse manifestations and their very refined manifestations 
are given some indication on how they can be overcome. Whatever happens in your meditation, if it does not go smoothly right into jhanas, it means that one or more of these hindrances is active. As you're meditating, if it's not going smoothly through these stages, if the mind isn't calming down, stop, use mindfulness to look which hindrance is it. What is the main obstacle? Once you've located what the main obstacle is, you can use the appropriate remedy. Be careful in this meditation, otherwise you can spend a waste a lot of time. Find out why the meditation isn't going deep, smoothly. It's a hindrance there somewhere. There'll be many of those hindrances on the path. By stopping, investigating, locating the hindrance, doing something about it and going further through it, past it, overcoming it, you'll find not only will your experience of meditation deepen, but you'll also get great insight into what these hindrances truly are. You'll get wisdom, insight, the knowledge of the hindrances which are no more than manifestations of the defilements. These are the things you should be getting insight about because these are the enemy, that which will hinder you from the enjoyment which is your right as monastics of jhana, which hinder you from achieving the bliss of the enlightenment experiences. So, don't be fooled by these hindrances. Any blockage in the meditation, it's a hindrance there somewhere, find out which one it is. Not only will you gain insight, but your meditation will deepen. I think I've talked enough this evening on the five hindrances and their relevance to this meditation practice. Has anyone got any questions about this evening's talk? Okay. <laughs>